pray. God of love, you promise us that no matter how broken we feel, that we are beloved by you and in your sight. Heal our wounded places, and may our, even our scars ring with your love. Amen. So that was a little section from, in Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, and how wonderful to have Ed read it from the message version, because it was kind of like hearing a sermon all by itself in, uh, in from the scripture. So uh, thank you for that, Ed. That was fantastic. And I have hidden my own sermon from me, which I was worried about earlier today, and of course put it in a special place so that I wouldn't lose it. And I have indeed totally misplaced it. Maybe. Bear with me just a quick second. Thank you. Look, I found it. Yes. There we go. Now I'm found. Lost but found. So today's theme is finding wholeness in brokenness. And um, I was doing a lot of reading earlier this week and, of course, reading in the news too. And I found, as I read, that looking just at the state of California it's easy for many of us, I feel, to, to believe or think that the blessed are really those who are well-off, the healthy, those who don't seem to suffer, and those who are houseless or have to commute two hours each way to work or who still can't afford health care, those families who are lining up in, um, at the actually first harvest. There was a, a news article in The Guardian, again, an English newspaper, pointing out that our immigrant families uh, are afraid to receive help because the question they've been asking is, will I lose my children if I come? And so that's here. And I just, it just really hit me in this deep way and are really only those who are well off the blessed? And so that's when I come back to the Beatitudes and it reminds me that, no, we are all blessed and beloved. We are all of equal value. And no matter what values our society puts upon people and says that your life is more valuable than this life, we, it is our choice to believe that we are blessed. And as God assures us today, God's love begins with blessing. And so we too, each of us, are blessed. And this is true of everyone, whether we're disabled or not, whether, whether we suffer from mental illness or not, whether we live our lives with depression or we're physically limited, we are still blessed. And I wanted to lift up a little story from uh, the NPR forum that I listened to a couple of weeks ago. Are you familiar with David Talbot? He's a Bay Area journalist and author. And he had a stroke um, some time ago. And he really was quite disabled for some period of time. And what he said in his interview that really struck me was that being a patient teaches you patience. And he quoted Ram Das, which is one of his favorite spiritual guides. And Ram Das, he said, said, Don't try to go back to who you are. That would be foolish. You never will be again who you are. You have to adapt to the new you. And David very poignantly talked about how after his stroke, he, he had to sort of work really hard at recovering. He had to learn how to type again. And as he was learning, he wrote to he wrote a blog, and people would respond, and other people who had experienced any kind of disability would write back, and that helped him in his recovery. And he shared that the new me is slower, 
more patient. I listen more carefully to people. I used to live in the future as a journalist, but I'm not living in the future now. Now I live each day like the last day of my life because I think it might be. And then the interviewer asked him, well, do you, do you grieve for the past? And he said, of course I do. Whenever I needed to be restored, I would jump in my car and I'd drive along the, the coastline, of the, the beautiful California coastline, and it would just lift my spirits. And now I can't do that anymore. And he said, yes, I grieve it. And I go on. I would say that my philosophy of life is one of stoic exuberance. I choose not to live life in bitterness or regret. I choose to go on. I know I am debilitated in many ways and will be for the rest of my life. And yet I am exuberant to be alive. And that really resonated with me on a number of levels. And, I, and so part of what I want to share today is a little bit about my own life and stories. And one of the ways in which I feel like when you and I talk with each other, there's a, a kind of resonance. And some of you may know this story. I think most of you may not. And that is that when I was in college, I was 19, I became really sick. And I was really tired. And I would go to the, the doctors at health service, and they were like, ah, you're just a college student. You're burning the candles at both ends, which, of course, was totally true. I was trying to suck in all of life. But I knew there was something more going on. And Eventually, it became so sick, I had to drop out of college and go back to Ireland. I arrived in Ireland and had no idea what was going to happen. And what was fascinating is the day after I arrived, I started to run a fever. And four weeks after that, my lymph nodes started to swell until I started to look like an alien. I had all of this side of my neck and face was swollen out like a, a big tennis ball. And so the test, I was lucky to be in Ireland, right, where... My family was eligible for free health care. I spent a, my first weekend in the hospital. cost me 34 pounds. You know, that was after multiple tests, right? Uh, a day, you know, nights in the hospital. And that was before I had gotten my medical card. That wasn't even when I was covered by the state insurance yet. And it actually took four months, four months for there to be a diagnosis of what was called a mycobacterial infection. And what that means is that mycobacteria, it's a, one of those diseases that's kind of biblical. It's related to leprosy, but it's also related to tuberculosis and that same family. And I was really lucky because the TB drugs, the, all the wonderful meds used to treat tuberculosis, worked. And so uh, the infection was cured, but it I could barely walk for two years. I would get out of bed, go get breakfast, and then I'd be gone. I'd be in bed for three hours. Then I could get out of bed and I could read a little poetry. I could sit in a chair for 15 minutes. Bam, back in bed. I could have a 10-minute conversation, and that was it. I was gone for six hours after a 10-minute conversation. I was done. And that was two years and there was no guarantee. The doctors thought I would eventually recover. They weren't quite sure what had happened to my immune system in this process. But no one had answers. And it took me 10 years to have something like a normal life. And it actually, you know, and then I was able to get well enough. I had my son Finn, which I wasn't sure would be possible. 
But it's only been in the last eight to ten years that I have had something like a normal level of health. I can work a full-time job. I can run around with my son like a crazy thing on the beach and throw him in the water. You know, I can have conversations. I can stand before you and preach, and I don't have to go to bed immediately afterwards. I never knew that I would have a life. But I I share this story because when this happened to me as a 19-year-old, I watched all my friends, you know, fall in love. They were having fun. I, I, was, I was isolated from them in, in a rural place. You know, thank God with free health care, but it was, it was not a happy time. But I learned that I could not go back to who I was. I had to leave, just like David Talbot spoke of, I had to leave the old me behind and somehow come to terms with the new me. And I wasn't sure. It was a very awkward adjustment. And it was the same then when I discovered the new me, the well me, because I was, for years, I was like, what if I overdo it? Maybe I'll be, maybe I, maybe that'll be it. So it was this moving target of, okay, I did this much today. And for many years, if I overextended, I'd be down for a month. And so I had to be very careful with my energy and my diet, with everything about my life. It took a lot of work. But this is true of many of us, I feel. It's true of us no matter how old we are, right? So this is my story as a young person, how I experienced limitations that were put on my life. And many of us experience those limitations. So even if we've never been sick a day in our life, all of us will grow older. And as we grow older, we will begin to experience Disability of some kind, constraints on our lives that weren't there before. And we will adjust and adapt, come to terms with the fact that the old us, who we are, is a new new being. And it can be a really tricky adjustment, but there's beauty in this, right? So a lot of us in this community, we're here because many of us have experienced, like me, these constraints. Not all of us. Not all of us have experienced disability or mental and physical ailments. But many of us have. Many of us can identify with that. And sometimes when we experience this, we feel broken, like nothing will mend. We feel worthless. But as Jesus points out in his sermon, we are blessed. And we're blessed in a very special way. There's a Christian theologian called Sharon Betcher who writes specifically uh, Christian theology from a disabled perspective because she experienced disability too. And what she shared, this is the special blessing that she she said about herself and others. She said, we who are disabled refuse to live as if broken, We refuse to live as if broken, just as David Talbot did, and therefore refuse to discard the world as broken. We refuse to discard the world as broken. Because if if we can't come to terms with that and we think that we're somehow valueless, we kind of discard ourselves. 
And that's not what Jesus asks us to do. And when we can value and love ourselves as we are, in whatever parts of ourselves feel broken, we bring healing to ourselves and we bring healing to the world too. And that is a special kind of healing that only those who have experienced disability can bring on any level. That promise that no matter how broken our society may appear, how broken a community may feel or a person may feel, that there is hope and we can recognize wholeness in those spaces. But self-love is a choice. At a recent conference, I heard Bishop Yvette Flander talking about this, where she, you know, she works in a community where uh, it's in Oakland where financial issues, mental, physical issues, it's just, it's, they're really prevalent and it's really hard on people. And she was saying, you know, self-love, the self-worth, it's not just something we decide we're going to do one morning. When we wake up, we're going to love. We're, we're going to I am going to love myself, just like Jesus said in his commandment, to love others as I love myself. We don't wake up one morning and decide. She said, this, for most of us, is a lifelong process. And so we choose each day and each moment whether to make the choice of loving ourselves and giving ourselves worth that Jesus promised, accepting the blessing that we are blessed. And I had a conversation with Mark a couple of weeks ago, and um, he said this wonderful line that I asked his permission to quote. He said, yeah, you can give a hundred, you may not be able to walk a hundred yards, but you can give a hundred yards of your heart. And that really struck me because even in our limitations, there are parts of ourselves that we can still give. And we give from our wholeness, and sometimes our vulnerabilities are included in that wholeness as well. And I strongly feel the reason I offer this today is because I feel like one of the special things about our community is that we are especially gifted at allowing each other to be vulnerable, to have whatever the limitations we have, and to bring them to the space and feel safe being who we are here. And so we recognize in each other that we're not broken and we're not going to discard each other. We're not going to discard ourselves either. We may still be learning to love ourselves in this space and accept ourselves, but, but there's no discarding. There's a valuing and a loving. And this is a special gift. This is a gift that we can give to ourselves, to our community, that we refuse to discard the world as broken because we, many of us, have understood what it means to feel broken and to have been discarded by society at times. Finn and I went to see the Fred Rogers movie, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, on New Year's Day. And I may have told you this already, but Finn's uh, assessment, I asked him what he thought afterwards, because I have no idea, you know, he's 11. And he said, I was like, so what did you think? And he's like, well, that was like the real life Mary Poppins. And he was like floored that people in real life kind of did this kind of stuff where they talked with puppets and helped people to feel whole and beloved. 
And that was his message. I, you know, it's Valentine's weekend. Each of us know how messy love is. But please, God, I am hoping that each one of us in this room have had that memory, just as Fred Rogers did, of a time when we felt utterly beloved and seen by someone in our lives. So it's really important to hold on to that memory, to, to know and remember what it's like to be seen and loved exactly for who we are, because that's how God loves us, no matter what. And so Fred Rogers, to continue that theme, he said, whether we're a preschooler or a young teen, a graduating college senior or a retired person, we human beings all want to know that we're acceptable, and I would add beloved, and that our being alive somehow makes a difference in the lives of others. To know that we're beloved and that being our presence in the world somehow makes a difference in the lives of others. And I feel like when we reflect on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitude, that's what Jesus talks about. Our being salty in the world is about being able to to find meaning in knowing that we have touched someone's life and helped affirm their being in a beloved way. So as we go forward, this is where coming Epiphany is coming to the end. Next Sunday is the Transfiguration Sunday. Susan will preach. And that will ring in the end of this Epiphany season of following our star. Then comes Lent and Easter. But we've been sort of trailing this theme of what our star is, where love is in our lives. And I hope that as this season unfolds, we can truly claim ourselves as beloved, no matter what the challenges we are facing, to act from that place in our lives, to claim it, to claim our wounded, scarred parts, as well as our hale and hearty parts, and bring them fully with us and love each other in that space. In God's name. Amen.